As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Welcome to the return of the Phil Hay Show, brought to you by The Athletic, along with The Square Ball. Dan Moylan here from The Square Ball, along with Phil Hay from The Athletic. You've come straight from Jesse Marsh's pre-Christmas, pre-Man City press conference. Phil, we'll get into that in just a second. Good to be back, by the way. We should say, the Phil Hay Show, it is twice a week, but that will resume in January after the Christmas holidays. We've got a show this week, one next week in between the games, but back up to full speed first week of January when we get into it again properly. The shows are all free. You can listen ad-free when you subscribe to The Athletic in the app, and as well as the ad-free pod, you can read all Phil's stuff that he's written about Leeds United, and you were covering the World Cup, of course, Phil. Um, participate in match day discussions with Phil himself and you can read all the coverage about football and sport around the world and more sports as well getting folded into The Athletic head to theathletic.com forward slash leads pod $1.99 a month for your first year at the moment um, theathletic.com forward slash leads pod Phil let's start with the important stuff then Salt Bay and the World Cup <laughs> I, uh, hello everybody nice to be back um, although the World Buttercup meant that it felt like I've never been away which we should explain for anybody who's not aware of that. It's We did a members-only show, which was pitting, uh, this is over on the square ball, pitting former and current Leeds United players head-to-head in a ridiculous tournament. Stuff it's, like who, who'd be best at assembling an IKEA wardrobe. It's one of the topics, for example. Yeah, and with good reason, it will be more famous than Salt Bay, I think, across the globe. <laughs> I did I did warn you about him. I mean, there is a podcast going back, was it last summer? Summer before? I think it stemmed from Jack Harrison being spotted at Salt Bay's restaurant. And as I said, no problem with Harrison going there, spend your money on whatever you like. But I did warn people that I was not a Salt Bay fan. Mm. And even less so now, I have to say. What yeah. about you? Not a huge fan. I would not be paying, is it 900 quid or something for a gold-plated oh, steak? At least, whatever it might be. At yeah. least. Yeah, but he sprinkles salt on it in quite it, a fancy a, way. So. It's a shame Michael um, has been away in Mallorca this week, so he's uh, not quite back in time to be on this show. But it would have been nice to get his thoughts on that. Sort of yeah, I can imagine he's a big, he's a big, big yeah, advocate. So, be yeah, hundred um, percent. To the Jess conference then that has just happened, pre-Man City, and a few talking points in there. We'll pull in a few of these threads then. Um, illness and injury transfers. Um, the players looking a bit leggy versus Monaco. Mateus Click, uh, Cody Drama. Where do you want to start then, Phil? Uh, probably illness and injury, just because the friendly against Monaco on Wednesday night, and also the open training session which I went to on Tuesday. There were a heck of a lot of. Uh, emissions and, and absentees from both nights. Some being rested more than anything. Um, Tyler Adams, one example, he was back there. We spoke to him briefly on Tuesday. He'd taken a kick to the calf against Holland in the USA's final World Cup game. 
I think was basically fit and would quite happily have trained, but had just been told by Marshall he suspended for the Manchester City game. So take it easy, uh, lay off a little bit. And bear in mind that Adams had played every minute out in Qatar as opposed to um, Christensen and Aronson who hadn't been quite as involved. I think it just seems sensible to um, to hold off there. The injuries, I think, of, of note and the players who are definitely not going to be involved against City, um, Sinistera, who has this foot problem uh, affecting his um, metatarsals, and has was out for a little while before the, the World Cup break. He's still going to be another couple of weeks, another two or three weeks before he's back in training, but it seems to be getting there and they seem pretty happy with his progress. Stuart Dallas, as we've said many times, is longer term, actually had another little operation this week, what Marsh called a, a clean-out. Um, just um, it quite often happens when you've had fairly major surgery. So he's a, a fair way away. But Marsh was hoping and seemed to be implying that everybody else would at the very least have a, an outside chance, including Ilan Millie, who's had glandular fever. And we'll maybe talk a little bit more about that and why it's a, why it's a problem for him. But he is due to have another check um, on his viral load, um, just check on his bloods. And I think, again, if he gets the all clear, then he could well play against Manchester City, even though he's been out for a, a couple of weeks. Bamford obviously has had groin surgery and has since been ill with his clique ill as well um, I think there's, uh, Marsh was a bit non-committal about whether or not Bamford would actually be involved against City so in a roundabout way of speaking it's not a million miles off a full strength squad but I think it definitely isn't a full strength squad and it still seems pretty questionable as to who is bang at it and ready to go and who there is a, a bit of a you know bit of a doubt about before this game kicks off That was reflected in the lineup against Monaco wasn't it coming off the back of a a 4-2 defeat. I mean, the, the danger is, of course, you can read too much into these. Um, I've been calling them re-season friendlies as we get going back into the mm-hmm. re-season. Very good. Uh, yeah, and we beat Sociedad, beat Elche as well, brought the trophy home. It says Click enjoyed that. Um, did we learn anything from the uh, from the friendlies? I think we did. They didn't play particularly well out in Elche, but it was obviously the, the first game back. They had had a behind-closed-doors against Championship side, I think, prior to that. But um, in public, it was the, the first game back. What I think we've seen in the last two matches, Sociedad and Monaco, and also I picked up on this in the open training session on Tuesday, is the effort that's being made to focus on and move towards a, a 4-3-3 system rather than 4-2-3-1, which is always the setup and the formation that Marsh has been wedded to more than any other at Leeds. It, it has chopped and changed a little bit, and it did last season, but certainly this season, that um, line of four with the two midfielders um, in front of them and then the, your, your forward line ahead of that uh, has been very much his um, his bread and butter. We've seen a shift towards 4-3-3 in both of the last two games and the players were working on it in training as well. And it was quite obvious that when they're in possession, when Leeds have the ball, it allows them to switch to three at the back and almost to... I asked Marsh about it today and he was saying it makes them a bit asymmetrical in that it allows, say, for example, Christensen on the right to move forward and become a wing-back as opposed to a, a right-back. And then it was Nonto at points who was dropping in on the other side, giving Leeds almost a bit of a you know 3-5-2 or a 3-5-1-1 um, system. And it in the first half against... Um, it, it worked pretty well against Sociedad. And obviously, a little bit hard to know what... This, I don't mean the standard of the opposition in terms of how good the players are in their squad, because Monaco was strong last night. It was a, a strong lineup, But, you know, how into it are they how full-blooded are either Sociedad or Monaco playing it's a little bit difficult to tell in the first half last night um, the Monaco friendly it worked pretty well and and I think what you could see is that having a line of three across midfield rather than the two in front of the back four meant that you had a bit more cover out wide 
Leeds did seem in that period much better at keeping the channels blocked and not getting caught in the way that they've been caught so many times. But then you go into the second half and you see almost trademark concessions. You know, the, I think the second Monaco goal more than any other, although the third was very, sorry, the, the fourth was very similar to this as well. But Christensen getting stuck in that no man's land where he's not high enough up the, the pitch to press the ball aggressively, but he's not deep enough either to cover the ball in behind. And then suddenly you have the switch from left to right. There's nobody marking at the far post and it's a, a tap-in. Mars said himself today, we've seen that concession a lot. You know, that that is kind of the, one of the problems that we've had. And I think that is something that they really, really need to eradicate from here forward in the second half of the season. So there definitely has been a shift and there definitely has been, I think, an attempt to look at something a little bit different, a little bit of flexibility away from the system as it was. Although I still think the fundamentals and the principles of how they're playing are pretty much unchanged. Yeah, because we kept seeing... Um, Leeds caught with the two centre-halves, both full-backs pushed up the pitch and then the two in front of him was almost almost like a little square of four, wasn't it? So it seems interesting that they're looking at maybe if, if Christensen bombs on, you can then have three at the back with three in front. It seems more rigid, doesn't it? But will we, will we maybe give up a little bit of our attacking threat though by doing that? That's how it seemed to me, looking at the way they played and it wasn't that they didn't have any attacking threat in the first half. They had more than Monaco who scored with their, their only shot and goal. Um, I think in that system, you probably do surrender that to, to a degree more often than not it was your right-sided player Christensen or it could be Ailing or, or Dramme that was pressing on and Strike was regularly dropping in as a, a third centre-back which I think I think kind of nods to the fact that Strike is not a left-back in, in any way um, and, and although he's done a good shift there I don't think so we keep saying that that is going to be a long-term position or should be a long-term position for him he is I think a, a centre-back at heart and um, and a centre back in his traits as well. So yeah, I, I think I think it's a good point. And I do I did get the sense that that's what was happening, that it was surrendering a little bit of the, you know, all out intensity or positioning further up the field in order to be a little bit more stable. And I have to be honest, I think being a little bit more stable is exactly what Leeds have to think about. You know, the fifteenth in the table, they haven't had a particularly good first half of the season. I know not, not quite at the halfway point yet, but it hasn't been great. There've been an awful lot of um, goals conceded. That felt to me, that was the, the theme of the, the last match piece we did after the Tottenham game, was that the defence, you know, defensively the team are just not functioning or want at that point. And that to me felt like if, if there was one thing that needed addressed in this period, um, the defence more than anything. Well, six weeks today, February the 2nd, is Groundhog Day, Phil. And it coincidentally comes just after the transfer window has closed. I am shoehorning this one in. Well, go on. But you mentioned left-backs there. Yes, are these things going to be addressed finally, do you think? Is there activity going on? Because Marsh wouldn't be drawn on it today. He, I think given that he perhaps, I don't know, was he a little bit loose-lipped towards the end of the, the summer window and someone said to him, don't talk about transfers, please. Um, because it becomes a lightning rod, as he described it today in the presser. That was the phrase he used and was very keen not to get drawn into it today and to kind of indicate that he wasn't going to get drawn into it at any stage through this window. There'll be points where I think he has to talk about it and that will be dictated by what they do and, and how well it goes. From speaking to people at the club, it, it does seem like left back and forward are once again the things that are being spoken about. I think those of us on the outside would say that if you were being offered players in two positions, those are the two that you would go for. It feels to me like the club are aware that those are the positions they should be looking at. But it's going to come down again to delivery. The reason I mentioned Groundhog Day is because we knew that in the summer. And yes. it was being spoken about towards the end of the summer, which is perhaps why 
Marsh has uh, had his wings clipped a bit well, in terms it, of talking about it. So absolutely, are, are, but, we, are we ever going to move past talking about it and getting it done? Well, but not only the summer. Um, we've done a, a piece for Boxing Day. You know, kind of transfer overview. What might happen? Who might go? Who might come in? Everything else that'll be online on the on the twenty sixth. And part of the um, one of the sections was what have this, um, the clubs overall spend been in or how much money have they invested in players in the last three January windows combined and the answer is basically zero Leeds are not active at this time of year and don't tend to be active at this time of year it's a little bit skewed by the fact that they did sign Augustine who they have then lost this case with um, Leipzig so you could say that actually in that window there was 18 million quid spent but it, it was a it was a loan deal done at the time. He's never actually shown up at the club. But that eighteen it's, million was uh, was bumped to the transfer window in the summer after. Well, it, it? it was a summer deal that, yeah. that was supposed to be done. So you can kind of it's, it's kind of semantics. But the bottom line is that the money Leeds have not spent and have not been active at this time of year. It didn't cost them in two thousand and twenty. They had easily in the end the legs to to get promoted. Um, they deserved it and they they got promoted by by long distance. They didn't. Um, invest significantly or at all actually in the 2021 window um, partly because they could see by that point that they were going to finish comfortably mid-table at, at least and, and they did better than that in the end they were up in up in ninth but last season did nothing in January and very nearly paid the price for it and I don't think there can be too many clubs who are more forewarned about the danger of sitting on your hands when you need to be I guess when you need to be proactive and when, when it's clear that you have things that, that have to have to improve and it would be it it would be incredibly difficult to fathom if we went through this window without meaningful and, and kind of sensible investment in players in the positions which seem obvious to fill. I think it absolutely has to be done. And I cu- I couldn't understand looking at the first you know chunk of games this season and saying to yourself, "We'll definitely be fine. There'll be no problem." They've they've got good players in this squad. They have, but it's at this stage it's it's too close for comfort. And a lot of the noise starts to get ramped up when you see other clubs starting to make moves in the market. And of course. You can, of course, drive yourself mad looking at other clubs. But we have to remember these clubs are all fishing in the same pond, aren't they? So it's you can't ignore it completely. You can't ignore it completely. It matters if you don't do what you have to do. It doesn't matter if you sign good players and the, the sort of players that you actually need. You can only have a squad of a certain size, so there are always going to be some footballers who go elsewhere. Um, Mateus Cunha I guess is one to talk about it didn't feel to me Leeds have liked him for a long time and and we're looking at him back in windows when um, Bielsa was head coach it didn't feel to me like they were ever close to that one this time round but that lingering interest was still there in the end he's gone to Wolves I'm sort of struck if the it's on loan initially with obligation to, to buy in the summer I presume if Wolves stay up given the price that's been spoken about um, and also given Cunha's status. But the price has been quoted, 40 to 50 million euros. I'm finding very difficult to get my head around. Wild is the word uh, I would use. Yeah, it seems somewhat overpriced, shall we say. Mm. So that to, that to me would be would have been a good player to sign, but I don't think that would have been a good price. What There are only so many windows, though, or only so many times, you know, a, a little bit like last January, where you can go through a window not going for this player and not going for that player and this player's too expensive and that and getting to the end of it and not having done enough I think you've I think there needs to be a biting of the bullet here and just just consider what to make sure that the, the positions that need filled the players that are necessary come in because it seems fairly obvious to a lot of us what, what should be happening 
Well, we'll have a little chat, if you like, about um, the ownership and the 49ers in the, the second part of this show. Just talking about Mateus's. Let's talk about Mateus quick, uh, click quickly, if we can. Yes. Because Marsh spoke about him today. There has been an inquiry. Some sources are reporting this deal to go to to Washington being 95% done. Um, where are we with this one? Because Marsh sounded like he wanted him to stay. They're very keen, DC United. It's a good offer as well. Um, I think it would be a fairly long contract that would take him into his mid-30s. And it's a nice city. It's a new adventure. I wrote about Click um, after the, the news about DC United came out and also after the game against Elche when you know, Marsh sort of said afterwards, I'm not really in a position to say where this is going to go and was 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 implying that there's some doubt about whether Click would stay because he wasn't he hasn't been playing too much this season. I know Marsh said today that he's been the fifth most fifth player used most since Marsh became head coach and featured in X number of games. But when I totted up his minutes, it turned out that he played fewer this season than Dan James for Leeds. And I mean that really I think does does say it all. And I like Cleek. I think he's got plenty to offer. I don't think he's necessarily the force he was back when he was playing every single game under Bielsa and was, you know, just dictating so much in that team. But uh, he's only 32. He's a he's a talented player. You know, the, the, the kind of promise of minutes this season hasn't really been delivered. The, the idea that he would play enough or play in a way that got him into the Poland squad for the World Cup didn't work out either. He was he was omitted from that. I think it will be much harder this time round to do what they did in the summer and say, look, you, you will be involved. You will be a major part of the plans. And I I suspect that it will be tricky for Clake to say no to a serious offer from MLS because he's at that age now where he has to consider how many really good contract offers he's he's going to get. Uh, on the flip side, Marsh did talk about the need to be selfish as a club and I still have my doubts that Leeds are so blessed with players that Clake's someday they can afford to lose at this juncture. But I think if we're being honest, it wouldn't be much of a surprise, would it, if, him, if, he, was to, if he was to go? Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. As you mentioned in part one then, Phil, Tyler Adams sitting things out at the minute at Ellen Road, but um, one of the stars of the World Cup. You want to have a little bit of a chat about him um, in this part? Leeds best performer at the World Cup, and I know there were only three of them out there, but I think I was a little surprised that Aronson wasn't used more by the States um, through the four games. I thought he, he might have had more minutes. But Adams is the one who returns with his reputation enhanced, I think, both as a footballer in a technical sense, but as a, a leader and captain and a kind of talisman of the US men's national team. And I, I've written about him for next week. We've done a piece on... The, the potential commercial value to Leeds of having in your squad the captain of USMNT ahead of the 2026 World Cup, which will be spread across North America, will be absolutely massive on a scale like no other World Cup previously. More teams, more host cities, 
um, many of them in the States. It, it is borderline a home model cup for them, albeit with games in Canada and Mexico as well. And it was, I think one of the things that um, interested our office or amused our office was the, the video on Twitter of him with Joe Biden. And people were saying to me, when was the last time Leeds United had a footballer in the same um, video as the President of the United States of America? And I said, well, if we're being fair, you used to have Lucas Radaby who had the favour and the ear um, and, you know, the, the, the total love of Nelson Mandela and shared his company a lot and was around him a lot. Massive respect between the two of them. Like Mandela used to say that uh, Radaby was his hero, you know, and I think that the feeling was 100% mutual. But yeah, it's, it is on a, a different scale. And, and it's, it's interesting to look at because you would think, certainly you would assume, that Adams being in the squad ahead of a World Cup in the States would give Leeds massive exposure there. But speaking to more and more commercial experts, they, they were talking to, you know, marketing experts, they were talking a lot about how hard you actually have to work at this. And about, as it, you know, as it turns out, the, the fact that the face of the US team is and has been for a long time, Christian Pulisic, you know, he, he is the, the player in a country that is still, that football stroke soccer is still trying to crack. He is the face that people kind of recognise. There was a fascinating survey done by an organisation in the States called, called Morning Consult, which asked the question of several thousand adults, do you know that the World Cup is coming here in 2026? And 65% said no. You know, I'd never heard anything about it. And I think that makes you realise how much football still has to do to muscle in on NFL and NBA and um, less so ice hockey, but certainly baseball as well. You know, the, the big traditional American sports. But everybody did say, if you're trying to crack the American market, if you're trying to increase your reach over there, if you're trying to increase your share of it, having somebody like Adams, whose star is certainly on the rise, can only be a good thing if you work it properly. It's funny that there are echoes of uh, the 94 World Cup. Um, I was out in the States on holiday for the 94 World Cup and there was just no sense it was really going on. It was it was a bit of an afterthought on the news, things like that. It was it was quite big, I think, among the Latin communities, um, particularly I think Brazil got quite far in that tournament. It was the final, wasn't it, against And there's big Mexican population in yeah. the States as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. So there, there was a lot of that present and I was in Florida at the time, so it was perhaps more present there, but there was no general sense of a big thing going on there. And, and obviously the States is a big country. It's going to be even more spread out with Mexico and Canada here. So there are interesting parallels with that, but you get the sense that football, soccer as it is over there in the States, is definitely a growth industry. You can, you can see it how is. Tyler Adams becomes like a, uh, an interesting face for that, can't you? I mean, I've, I've already sort of quietly convinced myself that I need to go over there for this one. Yeah, it, it ties in as well to the piece that um, I put together on the Nike, yeah, Nike versus Adidas battle that comes around with every World Cup. And when you look at the profits that they make annually, you think to yourself, Surely you hardly even need to get out of bed. You know, like you just it, the money just rolls in constantly. But like people were saying, you suddenly have a growth market in the States, which is a massive country, you know, and North America as a continent as a whole, you know, loads of people there that, that still that football still hasn't reached. And likewise, parts of Africa and Asia and so on. Um, the the game is never done really for your your manufacturers. And without a doubt, soccer football in the States is becoming more organised and it's becoming so much more professional. I mean, you were saying there that it was an afterthought in, in 94 and I don't doubt that at all. But I spoke to someone who works at the, the Shirley School of Business in Toronto and is a, a CONCACAF um, a consultant, a guy called um, Vijay Settler. And he was saying that what 94 did was kind of give the sport legitimacy because it was a fairly big event. I mean, massive event, but you know, it was big enough 
to attract the interest of people who'd maybe not in the States, not taken an interest before. It was played in major, major stadiums over there, which again made it feel like a, a proper marquee competition, you know, as opposed the, to... Do you remember the Rose, the Rose Bowl, wasn't exactly it? Exactly that. He mentioned the Rose Bowl. Oh, yeah. um, and and he said, rather than people looking at it and thinking, what's this little weird tournament that's that's going on? It, it was major. And the thing about 2026, apart from there being 48 teams involved and it just being vast, I mean, FIFA said that they reckon they will make $11 billion from this next tournament um, in, in 26. Let's not get into that. But because <laughs> that, that take up take up the rest of the show. But it is going to be monumental and a lot of your major partners for FIFA, World Cup, you know, within football, Budweiser, for example. So they're going to find this one a little bit easier the next one, aren't they? Aren't they just? And they're American. So they are going to throw huge amounts of sponsorship, money, everything else at this tournament to build up to it. There will be a lot that gets thrown at the US men's national team. And if there's a lot that's getting thrown at the US men's national team as Rog Bennett um, is a journalist broadcaster who runs the Men in Blazers um, podcast, which is really good. You should have, if you haven't listened to it, have a listen. It's, it's great fun, really insightful as well. And he kind of said, people are going to be going for the US captain, Adams. If you're, a, if you're a, bra- a major brand, if you're doing a sponsorship campaign and someone says to you, you know, which player do you want to activate, as they would say, to uh, who do you want, to, you want in order to activate your campaign? You'd say, well, let's have the captain you know to this point it's always been Pulisic Weston McKenney as well because he's at Juventus Champions League he's quite good at uh, I think pushing his own image Roger Bennett was saying to me you know those two really were the faces of the team but he doesn't think that anybody has grown in stature in this tournament more than Tyler Adams and of course Adams is is a black footballer as well so Vijay Settler was saying to me you know they obviously you want to tap into the entire audience in the States but there's a massive Latino audience in the US which is already largely engaged in football because football is massive in Mexico and, and you know places round about. Um, if you're tapping in or trying to tap into the um, African American audience, somebody like Adams is very relatable. You know, he, he absolutely is, and he speaks terrifically well. And I think one of the things that earned him a huge amount of credit during the World Cup in Qatar was that incredibly awkward press conference before the USA Iran game where. The, Certain journalists from Iran had obviously lost patience with the constant questions for Quiroz, the criticism of the Iranian regime, and, and I suppose by you know by association, probably a bit of what was being thrown at Qatar. So started to say to Adams, complain to Adams that his pronunciation of Iran, Iran, as they uh, as they sometimes call it in the states, was wrong, you know, and therefore, as they said, disrespectful. That America had a poor record when it came to um, the treatment of ethnic minorities, and. It was noted, certainly at Leeds, but I think by a lot of other people as well, that he was able to deal with that incredibly well. Well, High pressure circumstances where it would have been very easy to say the wrong thing. And, you know, he was voted as captain by the USA's dressing room. Um, Vijay Settler was making the point to me that you do have some countries who basically pick the captain because it's commercially advantageous to have them front and centre. But there was none of that with Adams. He was picked because he was the obvious candidate. And I think... You look at him and, and suspect that there's a captain in waiting there for Leeds as well, depending on when the baton passes on from from Liam Cooper. So allowing for the you know the variables in this, which is that he might not be captain by 2026, perhaps his form drops off a cliff and he's no longer a major part of the, the US men's national team, perhaps no longer at Leeds, you know, goes goes elsewhere. If everything falls into place, there is a definite asset there that you can you can work on. And given that you know you've got the 49ers waiting in the wings, waiting to do this takeover of the club, 
again, it all marries up nicely. Well, that brings us on to that, uh, the point that we made in the first part of the show there. And the elephant in the room, I think, where Leeds United are concerned, is the 49ers. Any signs this one rumbling away in the background feels like it's it's there somewhere in the future, yeah. but we don't quite know where, do we? Yeah, rumbling in the background would be absolutely right. And just waiting, really, for white smoke, I yeah. think. Yeah. Is, um, is the obvious the obvious time to move? And, and the, the reason why I was kind of speculating with you before that we had the break uh, for the World Cup, that they might have done something during the break. What about January? Do they move as soon as January? Do you think they, there's a desire to do so, so they could they maybe attack the market? Or is it a little bit further down the line than that, you think? Is it going to be the summer or somewhere very, in between? It's very, very difficult to speak for them because you could see any scenario working in, in certain circumstances. I always think that the the most sensible time to buy a football club is probably exactly when Radrazani did it back in 2017 when he bought out Chilino, which is to do it right on the end right at the end of the season so you head into a full summer where if you're going to change your your playing squad your head coach your recruitment department your boardroom anything that you're going to alter in a major way you have open space to do it and you have three weeks as opposed to trying to do it in the middle of the season now the interesting thing about this period just gone is that it was like the summer falling in November and December but clearly it hasn't been hasn't been done yet Everybody seems to feel that it, like you say, it is right there and it's coming at some point. But really, it's for them to say, isn't it? And it feels as if when the point comes where they decide, let's push the button, we'll, we'll go. But it surely can't be too much longer. Are there any financial wranglings going on with this? Because I, what concerns me at, at the moment is the, the split in the shareholding, which is as, you know, as near as you're going to get to 50-50 without it flipping over to the other side. And you wonder how that impacts. Well, for example, let's say the the 49ers were to put up some money, or Enterprises, we should stress, were to put up some money for the January window, and they spend 20 million quid, let's say, for a bunch of first installments on two or three players, whatever it might be. And then the club stays up as a result of this transfer activity, which benefits Radrazani. And if he hasn't put the money in for those transfers, then he's benefiting from... Do you know what I mean? He's, he's I do, benef- yeah. I do. It's impossible for us to answer that, really, because that all comes down to however it's discussed and however it's it's settled. Um, the In terms of the 49ers putting money in, what that did to say the shareholding would depend on how that money was, was given to the club. And I think if it was done in exchange for equity, then you feel as if the next tranche would surely tip them over 50, because again, you're 50%, because they're right at that point. I've always had it in my head that there is absolutely no way that the club can be can have anything like the valuation it has in the Premier League if they were to go down. You know, there would have to be a, a different negotiation or a different set price for Leeds as an EFL club um, as opposed to Leeds um, as a Premier League club. And that's why there seems to be a certain level of risk when it comes to buying mid-season because you don't really have control at this stage over the way the club are operating in that season. Okay, you've got January where you can sign a player or two, but the die's kind of cast, you know, for how the season's going to go and for the squad that you're going to have and and the strategy that you're going to use. Whereas, as I say, you know, you go back to 2017 and there was just a raft of changes from Radrazani. You had a new chief exec, you had a new director of football, um, or a director of football. There had been Nicola Salerno in with Chilino, but, you know, Victor Otto was far more of a kind of official figurehead in that role. There were a lot of signings made. There was a new head coach appointed. It was a complete clean sweep, really, with the time to do it. Now, it didn't work very well in that season. You know, it didn't didn't come together. But you could not do that by buying the club in, say, mid-January. You just, you know, you can make the changes here and there. You could get a new head coach if you wanted. You could get a new director of football. But 
it's very hard for any of those people to suddenly click the fingers and make a huge impact, huge difference there and then. So the summer always makes sense to me. And if they did hang on until the summer uh, from this point, um, I would totally understand that. I've just forever been a little bit confused about why they didn't want to kind of get their hands on the reins already. Yeah, and um, that's the point we've, I think we've spoken about before, where in my mind, I'd sort of boiled it down to two options where number one is it's because they had an agreement um, with Radrazani not to do it before a certain point. Maybe he said, I want this amount of time in the Premier League, then I'll sell up to you. Well, I don't, th- th- I don't th- think he was especially, or has been especially rushing to get out the door. That's a yeah. point worth making. If you look back at some of his interviews, um, and actually some of Alters as well, they'll both talk about wanting to get into Europe before they kind of go their, go their way. And But and can I stop you on that and just, and just say, isn't that now looking unrealistic? Maybe yes. the, the thinking has changed on that because... <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's that's a fair point. Because yeah. everybody moans at Radrazani and says, spend more money. Potless chancer is the phrase that always gets pulled out to every single owner we've had from Bates to Chilino to GFH. It's the phrase that always comes out. It's not directed at him. When it comes welcome, to... welcome to the 49ers. Yeah, yeah here you go. <laughs> Hi, lads. You're going to love it here. Um, but it always gets trotted out, doesn't it? You're not spending enough. Nobody ever spends enough. Even Liverpool's fans complain that their owners who are trying yep. to you know, get out don't spend enough. So is there is there a money thing there with Rajasani that suggests that he must now realise that with the level of wealth that he's got in terms of underwriting transfers, or even if it's just improving the club's cash flow, you know, to be able to maybe push the boat out and get... You know, because we've said before about transfers, you don't pay the whole lot in one go. Most often, more often than not, you would pay a deposit, five, 10 million quid, whatever it might be on a player. So you, when you go into, the, say, the January window, you don't need to spend 100 million quid if you're going to sign two, three players, whatever. It might be 10 million. It might be 15 million. It's not It's not a huge prohibitive amount, is it? And you think, you wonder, has Radrazani got that sort of leeway built into it? And with eyes on the, the transfer window... Would the 49ers want, not want to cement their future investment by getting it done now, if that's the case? Question for them, isn't it, really? I'd like to ask that of them myself, because it, 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 it certainly seems logical. Um, it seems to me that financially, competing for Europe is getting harder and harder and harder and, and gets further and further away because of, the, because of the ownership structure of the clubs who are starting to make up that, that group. You've got Manchester United now who look like they are basically for sale although you are going to have to raise some serious money to you know to buy in there and I go back to this you know this argument about you shouldn't have states buying football clubs if a club is going to cost 5 billion 10 billion pounds how many people aside from wealthy states can even possibly afford to do it you know basically none you've also got Liverpool up for sale as well, so remains to be seen how they, how they, how those deals end up, how those transactions end up, who ultimately is in control of those clubs, and how much it, it changes things again. But I do think it's very telling that you've got Newcastle in third place, as we resume at the moment, not because that's necessarily going to last. Um, they're going to finish in a really high position. I think that's pretty clear. But it's not to say that they'll definitely finish top four, they'll, they'll come under some pressure there without a doubt, although they've given themselves a really good chance. But that, you know, the turnaround, if, if you go back to last January, before Newcastle's game at Ellen Road, which I still felt was a pretty pivotal game for Leeds last season and, and what came after, and you look at the points Newcastle have accrued since then versus the points Leeds have accrued, and also look at the gap between the clubs prior to that game, Leeds ahead of them in the table by a, you know, reasonably good margin. It's 
they're absolutely light years apart. And it's impossible to analyse Newcastle without saying that the change of ownership there and the, you know, the injection of money that has come from PIF and, and from Saudi has made an extraordinary difference to them and has, has potentially put them in a position now where they can start to think about competing in that group of clubs. But that's because of the investment and the wealth that they've managed to attract. If you have it, you're laughing or you're in the mix. If you don't, closing that gap is so, so difficult. And as and when the 49ers do buy leads, I'll be very, very keen to see what they lay out as their blueprint and the roadmap and where they want to go what they think is feasible for them to achieve it's the stadium and isn't it that's 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 the cornerstone that, of it. that i think is going to be one of the major major pillars of it always getting the stadium up from 36 to 60,000 and completely changing your, your commercial operations but i'm not sure that that alone is going to push you into the group of clubs right at the very top of the league because they are some of them are ludicrously wealthy mm. ludicrously wealthy and and being rich is not enough anymore. It just isn't. You know, being a rich individual um, isn't enough unless you're so rich you've got more money than you have any idea what to do with. Just going back to that thought that it was, um, I was going to say it was either an agreement on the timing or it's some sort of discussion over money, be it wrangling over the terms of the deal or getting the finances in order. Those are the only conclusions I can draw as to why it's not being done yet. Yeah, so let's see. Um, as I say, I, you know, Nobody is pretending that this isn't going on in the background and nobody is pretending that it isn't in the post. Um, it's just what nobody can ever tell you is exactly when the, the nod is going to come. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So the action does resume at Ellen Road just after Christmas, Wednesday the 28th of December. We are back in action slightly later than uh, some of the other teams. and. I mean, what a corker to restart with, um, Man City under the lights. It's a beast of a fixture. It's are you are you happy that it's under the lights? I, I think it's a shame that it's been moved to midweek night. I, I think oh, this could have been this could have been a great boxing, yeah. you know, yeah, boxing the, yeah, day event. Yeah, I think you're right. But then again, we're in that weird kind of no man's land between Christmas and New Year, which as anybody who you know lives in this country will testify. It's weird, isn't it? You kind of build up to Christmas, that gets done and out of the way, and then you dot, you sort of go off to the football and boxing day or whenever it is, and then you've got a few days just to go, well, what now? Uh-huh. <laughs> what yeah. should I do with myself? So I think having that in the calendar... So instead we can just get bevied for like four days <laughs> straight and then, and then head back for um, for the Haaland extravaganza. These are two difficult, difficult games to be getting back into. I mean, we will record before Newcastle, so we'll get um, into that in, in proper detail. But City at home... Newcastle away. That is um, that is fire and brimstone for 
for your first games back after six, seven weeks away. Well, what's a good return out of those two fixtures? I mean, we can get into Newcastle more next week, but you can't help but look at them as a pair and then you get a little bit of... Uh, you know, I'm, I was going to say clear water afterwards, but then again, it's the clear water we've kind of struggled in a little bit this season. Uh, we've done better against the teams we shouldn't have done as well. Very much so. And I was on the, the Blue Moon podcast last week and I was saying that to them. I said that the odd thing is that Leeds have actually played best in the games where you almost expected them to get very little. I still think Leeds' performance against Arsenal is probably the best performance Arsenal have had to put up with, despite them being as, as far clear at the top of the league as they are. Um, and despite them winning that game, Chelsea, very good. Liverpool, very good. They, they, that's the weird thing about this team. They, they do have it in them. I, I kind of feel like City, despite the way the league table looks, I still feel like City are on a different level. And you asked what would be a good return. It, would it be a defeatist to say anything? No, I think that's probably an accurate yeah. representation of, of where we are. I said this over on our show, actually. We recorded it um, just before you and I sat down to do this. And I've said it's, it's more of a ref- reflection on the general state of the Premier League, isn't it? That you go into certain games thinking, well, I don't expect anything from that and anything from it is a bonus. I think it's uh, it feels quite anti-competitive when you've seen like the, the action in the World Cup, which was so exciting in so many games. Coming back to this, where there are so many teams set up with their low block, trying not to lose, and then there are teams you just expect to get nothing from. It feels quite anti-competitive in its, in its makeup as the Premier League. How you go about this game is obviously something we discussed with Marsh this afternoon. You know, do you come up with a specific plan for Haaland? Is there any point in trying to come up with a specific plan for Haaland? As stupid as that might sound, if you tunnel vision towards him, don't you just... Because City's depth of resources is so ridiculous. And also, they're not going to be compromised much by the World Cup, I don't think. Alvarez will, by the sense of things, absolutely not be back. They all sound like they're on a three-week bender down in (laughs) Buenos Aires. It's not that they can get to any of the pubs, but, um, you know, they've gone for the foreseeable. But... De Bruyne, Foden, Grealish, Stones, even though it was um, knockout stages for England, you know they, they didn't get all the way. So they, they've had a bit of time off and will be back and will be, I think, relatively, relatively fresh. Brentford, Brentford beating City, I think, is as close as you can get to... When, you, when you're in the position that Brentford are or Leeds, so when it's not you know, a hammer and tongs City v Liverpool, uh, like peak Klopp Liverpool fixture, that's probably exactly what you're looking for every time you play them and actually okay it was 10 v 11 but not unlike the game that Leeds won at the Etihad um, under Bielsa that famous Stuart Dallas winner because of where City are in the league and because of what City are trying to do they will try to win every single game and they'll try to win every single game until the very last kick of it as they did against Brentford even though it was so late in the game it was deep in injury time they were pushing and pushing and pushing and they were committing and they were committing and in the end, they committed too far. And, and what it meant was that Brentford had that one chance right at the end to go end-to-end and to win the game through Ivan Tony. And that, I think, is what you have to hope for, that you're able to hang in the game, you're able to see off the chances that they have. As Marsh said today, you're able to be good with Haaland. See, the, the problem with Haaland is that you can do everything right against him and you can play well against him and you can still concede because he does everything right and he does everything well and he does it better than you because he just is better than you. <laughs> so it's really it's really hard to say you ought to contain him. Sometimes you look at him and you think you just don't know how you, you do it and there are points where he scores and he does it from nowhere and you you know almost in the blink of an eye it's all gone wrong. Yeah, you want to go, that's not fair. Absolutely. Like a child. It yeah. is that cheat code, cheat code thing. But if you can hang in the game, 
then if they and they have to you know they have to get on a winning streak because they are adrift of Arsenal slightly you know it's not an insurmountable gap but it's quite it's quite a good lead for Arsenal you know they're in, in pretty decent decent position and obviously I, I think I'm right in saying they play before City so you know could, could open it up a little bit further if the game is on the edge and is in the balance then it might be that actually you know those chances present themselves late on where City are overcommitted and they do leave themselves wide open and they do take risks there is equally the chance that City turn up and do what they did to Leeds at the Etihad last season which is absolutely rout them um, and I suspect we will know quite early on which way it's going to go I mean it could go the same as the home game last year as well which would be somewhere in between just a, a comfortable 4-0 yeah um, <laughs> but it, you know I don't, it doesn't I don't know I always hope for more from Leeds and this is I think it goes back to what you were saying there actually why I think why Marsh's Leeds are proving to be so enigmatic it's just not knowing what you're going to get still even at this point in the season we're coming up for Christmas where we get these these amazing occasions where we beat teams and then some absolutely dire football at others and it feels like it either works spectacularly or not at all. There come times where it makes sense to cut your cloth a little bit and I, I accept that the second half against Monaco was you know, a, a write-off really or certainly in that period immediately after half-time when Monaco just surged through the gears and you know, game over. But one of the things I liked about the 4-3-3 or what the basic theory or idea seemed to be was that it did seem to be leaning more towards the idea of being a little bit tighter and being a little bit steadier and it's great you know having Chelsea and having Liverpool and throwing these in and actually more and more I sort of think if you're not competing for anything serious in the Premier League you need days like that otherwise what's it all about you know you need those moments where it's a surprise where um, it's a, it's like proper proper elation but that from time to time isn't really what keeps you up a bit of consistency, a bit of regularity, and you know, a, a bit of trust in a team to deliver results more often than not is what gets you into a comfortable mid-table position. You've got to be predictable to a certain level, haven't you? I think you do. I think you do. And I mean, some would say that some of the best teams, that are, you know, even like City, are actually quite predictable in what they do. They just do it to such a ridiculously good level. And that was the beauty of Bielsa's like, team as well, wasn't it? Yeah. That. The, None, none of that was ever left to chance. You know, it wasn't a case of just go out and play with flair and see what happens. It was all structured and it was all incredibly well coached. So, yeah, I, I if I was Marsh on this side of the this side of Christmas, the other side of Christmas, I would be looking for more regularity from this team. I think you know the the days against Chelsea, Liverpool have been great, played extremely well against Arsenal, but it's points on the board time and it's. A difficult not to look at that West Ham game midweek um, after City and Newcastle and think that'll be a biggie. Going back to uh, a name we mentioned in part one, Mateus Click, will he feature in this team? And I guess there's a broader question, actually. We didn't maybe perhaps finish the discussion on Click in part one about does he stay, does he go? You mentioned in part one, it's a great opportunity for him. But what about Leeds United yeah. in, in all this? Because if Click goes, that leaves us another body shot in midfield. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, is is now the right time, as Marsh said, or do we hang on and maybe it's a fun farewell in the summer? But the MLS season starts in February, doesn't it? So it's kind of trying to weigh up if and when that move happens. Because let's not forget as well, he'd be another one of the, the Bielsa side, the promotion side that would be leaving us, which would be sad. But are, are we guilty of being too sentimental? Is Mateus Click still the guy? Maybe a bit too sentimental. It feels as if over the next six to 12 months, there are probably going to be some big decisions for some of the stalwarts of that squad um, and I think in a year's time two years time the squad will look very different to
to the squad that was there in say the summer of 2020 when they'd gone up and you know there's still a, a lot of faces around now who were involved in that Cleek to my mind has had the best years of his career by a mile at Leeds and I think he has genuinely genuinely loved it here but I don't think he's so sentimental that he would want to lose another you know months years of his career to kind of sitting around having the the odd appearance here and, here and there like I say he does feature in a lot of games, but it's all quite quite brief. And I sort of feel when I see Click play that he's different to the Marsh system. I think he kind of changes it. And I think that might be, well, I'm just surmising here, but might be why he's not used so much. Because I feel as if once Click goes onto the field, you start to break away more from that. Hence why I can kind of understand why Marsh would be leaning to others who perhaps fit the system system better. It might, in the end, come down to one of those situations where Yes, Leeds can't afford to lose the body, but they do owe they owe him to let him do the right thing at the right time. Um, and I think do you think this is what what maybe Marsh was getting at when you were talking about Leeds United being selfish? Yeah, uh, and looking no, after the, the, absolutely. Do, do yeah, we make him the, stay? That a case of if we can't afford to lose Cleek, we have to keep him. You know, if if we can't afford for him to go, if it's going to compromise us if he leaves, then it makes no sense to do it, and we're asking for trouble by doing it. But that's a really tough balance because. I think they ha- because there is this really good offer on the table, they have to be really careful that they don't say to him, look, you can't take that or don't take that. You're going to be involved for the, the rest of the season. You're not really involved for the rest of the season. Or you don't play that many minutes. You don't have that much influence. And you're left thinking, you know, that was that was an opportunity for me. They've, they've definitely, definitely got to do right by themselves as a club, but they've got to be fair to him as well. Just while I've got you here on transfers out, Cody Drame, what's going on there? It feels like there's been a lot of noise, you know, if you've been a cynic put out by his agent. Um, who's been talking up uh, Borussia Dortmund, Newcastle, the club's yes. been interested. What, what's really happening here? Burnley and Watford are two clubs who would very much like Drame, but Drame seems to sway back and forward between on the fringes, then suddenly doing very well. And I mean, Marsh was speaking him up in a big way today and people around the club are saying that he's been impressed with Drame over the last month or so, that Drame's trained extremely well, seems to be more in the picture now than, than he was, say, when the, the season was was pausing back in November. The issue for Drammy is that he really wants to play and obviously forced his way out last January, got a lot of games at Cardiff, won their Player of the Year award, did extremely well. There are three right-backs at the club. Christensen, there's Ailing, there's Drammy. So I don't think you can accommodate all of them. You know, I don't think all of them can play enough or as much as they would want to. Has Ailing got six months left? Ailing, the last contract that was announced for Ailing, the last one um, that, that he signed runs to the end of this season. He hasn't played a huge amount. I'm absolutely certain he'd want to play more as well, although there's not been any suggestion at this stage that they would consider letting him go. Drammy, I think, will probably look for some assurance if he was staying that he was going to get more minutes. Um, but as I say, what for the Keen, Burnley are keen on him. There'd be good moves out there for him. I just watched him against Sociedad and thought, his one-on-one defending is really good. He's mobile. He looks pretty quick. I don't think I'd be in a rush to... I don't think I'd be in a rush to sort of draw a line under him. Yeah, well, well, that's why I mentioned Ailing. I'm, I'm wondering if they see him as a natural successor to Ailing, and they say, "Well, Luke will be leaving us in six months' time." Then you've got a real shot at the first team. Well, again, Ailing kind of falls into what I was saying about you know players hitting this period where at, at some point you would assume that they're going to have to take the plunge and, and go elsewhere. You know, the, the kind of Leeds adventure will be over for them. I'd very much actually compare Ailing to Click in that sense, in that I think Ailing again clearly had his best years at Leeds, and as abs- I mean. There was a point on Tuesday, obviously there was open training, so like two, three thousand fans there. 
And Aileen came out and the first thing he did was go over to the East Stand and give all the kids at the front a big, massive wave. And whatever you think of his, you know, his more recent performances and his current form or anything, he, he's been one of the best signings Leeds have made in the last 20 years. I mean, he cost, comparatively speaking, for a Premier League club, I know they were in the Championship at the time, but you know, now that we're talking about Premier League finances, cost basically nothing. It was fantastic and such a main pillar of the Bielsa team. You know, made that team work in, in a lot of a lot of ways, as as everybody in it did. But you know, he he played his part and was a crucial cog. Um I don't think he either will be so sentimental that he just wants to be there as a bit of a cheerleader or a face in the background or or whatever else. He'll want to play. He's young enough to play plenty. He's good enough to play plenty. He'd be a very good right back for somebody else. Um so everybody, you know, who is either getting a little bit further on in their career or isn't involved quite as much as they were previously. You know, these these decisions come to mind. So, neck on the block time, Phil. What do you reckon is going to happen with Drame? Does he get a move out of here? Will it be a loan? Permanent? What do you think? I can see him going, I think. Well, permanently, I, maybe. I, I think I think Drame clearly has it in his head that he wants to play and he wants to be playing. Um, and I think Leeds are going to have to find some way of making that happen, whether it is loan out, permanent out, or whether they say to him, you, you're going to be more involved. But... I suspect he would probably look at the way the team is at the moment and wonder whether he's going to get ahead of Christensen. And it's not as if Christensen is in the ailing boat. You know, Christensen's kind of mid-twenties, so he's got plenty of years ahead of him, um, lots of, of miles left in the tank. I feel as if when push comes to shove, Drammy will probably go in some form. It's never felt like the happiest marriage, that one, has it? No, and I mean, he, he very much stuck his neck out last season. Um, and it was, I think it was quite revealing that he having done that, you know, gone to Bielsa and said, I want to leave, I want to go to Cardiff, that Somerville did the same, you know, soon after. I think Drammy was almost doing what what virtually nobody had done to that point, which was to say, I want out of here. You know, I mean, Sayers in the first season, had obviously homesickness and everything else, had, had said a little bit out of the blue. I mean, Leeds could see him getting a bit, um, a bit restless, but a little bit out of the blue, you know, I want to go, I want to leave, even though he was a quality player and it was kind of all there for him at Leeds. But yeah, it was abundantly clear last season that Drammy wasn't happy with his role and, and wanted wanted more time on the pitch. I don't think that's especially changed. He's had the odd chance this season, but not a great deal. So yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to departures and outgoings, he and Click look like the ones to keep eyes on. Well, watch this space, Phil. We will uh, revisit all this stuff, no doubt, uh, a lot more in the new year when the transfer window opens. In the meantime, have a lovely Christmas. Thank you very much. You too. Same to you as well if you're celebrating. We will return next week after the Man City game, before the Newcastle game, somewhere in that like I said, that, that week, the hinterland, where we're not quite sure what yes, to do with that. Yes, we'll ourselves. find a gap, won't we? Yes. Uh, we'll speak to you then. The Phil Hay Show. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favourite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.